There's no school for CPS today. The Chicago Teachers Union voted late last night to shift to remote learning, saying schools are unsafe because of the city's record high COVID positivity rate. But Mayor Lightfoot has said that the CTU doesn't have the authority to make this decision, and Chicago Public Schools responded by canceling classes. In a few minutes, we'll check in with CTU Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates. She and her members voted to have teachers work remotely until January 18th, or until the positivity rate drops to 10%. Here now with more on the situation is WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, Sarah. Many parents found out this morning that there were no classes. Give us the details. Well, that's the biggest detail is that... (laughs) No class. (laughs) No class. The school district basically said in the mayor that the teachers union cannot unilaterally decide that the whole school district is going to go remote. And um, the teachers union voted yesterday that their members are going to go all remote. So um, right now what what the school system did was they just close schools for the day and what they're going to do is in the future they're going to come up with some sort of plan for parents but that's really not specific so nobody really knows like so today's class, no class. canceled tomorrow what's what's going to happen so we don't no know if there's knows. remote learning tomorrow even we don't know if there's remote learning we don't know anything i mean one big complication is that the school district did not really make a plan to send computers home with kids and sort of do what they would need to do to really gear up for remote learning. So some principals, I think, did send computers home with kids. Some teachers, you know, checked in and made sure kids knew what to do. But, you know, it wasn't like on a wide scale, like, okay, we're going remote learning. So, you you know, everybody get your laptop. Correct. So well, I think that it'll be difficult to do it tomorrow, if even if they want to. Yeah, one of my two has her Chromebook every day anyway, but the one who doesn't says that the teachers told them specifically yesterday afternoon that they weren't allowed to send them home. So And actually, so today one of the big developments is that the school district locked teachers out of their emails, out of their Google Classrooms. So there's no way for teachers to communicate with their students today um, and, you know, also teachers aren't getting paid, um, which which which, you know, you would you would expect that if class, classes are canceled, perhaps they wouldn't be paid. But yeah, well, make it clear for us. Why has the mayor said that the CTU doesn't have the authority to, to, to determine whether the district switches to remote learning? She says that because she's like, I run the school district, not you, not the, not the union. And she said that this is the union trying to you know, trying to be the boss of the school district. And that's that's her job and that's her CEO's job. And also, you know, she, she's saying that the, the public health department um, in the city has not said that schools are unsafe. They've said that schools are safe and that, that actually that schools are sometimes safer for kids to be in than in a community and like out and out and about. So, you know, she's, she's not only saying, you know, I'm the boss, I get to close the school system, but she's like, there's no good reason why the school system should be closed if our public health department says it's safe for kids to be there. CPS says it has agreed to some of CTU's demands. Tell us more. Well, you know, one of the biggest demands that the CTU has been making for many months is that they wanted a metric where basically it would say, you know, here's when 
an individual school has such a large outbreak that the school would shut down. And the union wanted it to be based on how many teachers are absent because one of the points that they make is that if there aren't, if a lot of teachers have to be at home quarantining, then, you know, there's not maybe enough teachers in the school or adults in the school to make sure the kids are safe. So for a long time, the school district fought back on the idea of a metric. So they did say for a while, they've been saying for a while, we will close a school. They've never actually closed an individual school, but yet, but they said, we'll do it in the future if we see an outbreak. But just yesterday morning, they sent a proposal to the teachers union saying, okay, here is a metric. Now, considering that was the first metric that the CTU has seen, it's, you know, not not unexpected. It's far apart from what the union wants. I see. But at least there's like, you know, they're they're getting close on something there. What are you hearing from parents? You know, it's it's a it's a very mixed bag. There are definitely some parents who are upset and frustrated. I talked to a mom this morning who has a child who has special needs and she's just like this, this little boy needs to be in school and he needs all the services that come with his schooling. He needs speech. He needs physical therapy. He needs occupational therapy. She does not want him missing out on those things. However, there's also parents that I've talked to and a lot of, you know, people out in the Twitterverse who are saying that there is a big surge in Omicron cases. It is very scary out there. And, you know, we, we think that our kids are getting more exposed by going to school and we don't want our kids to be in school right now. So, you know, I, I, I think it's a mixed bag. And, you know, one, one part of this is that there's a lot of communities where the children and the adults have very low vaccination rates and the parents those communities are very scared. Now, I know the quick answer and what the mayor would say and school district leaders would say is, well, they should get their kids vaccinated. But, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why people aren't getting their kids vaccinated and they still don't want their children to be at risk. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about Chicago Public Schools' decision to cancel classes today after the Chicago Teachers Union voted last night to not work in person. And we are joined now by Stacey Davis-Gates. She's CTU Vice President. Welcome back, Stacey. Uh, Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing well. Grateful that you could join us. Uh, Tell us, in your view, why was this vote necessary? Well, the vote is necessary because we're warehousing um, our students in auditoriums and gymnasiums and cafeterias with a warm body. What I think is critical to understand in this moment is that many of our members, um, people who educate Chicago, um, are home ill, are home quarantining, are home taking care of their children who are home ill and quarantining as well. Um, Our schools are short-staffed. You all have done a very good job outlining the substitute shortage that we've been dealing with for some time that has been exacerbated in this moment. And so it begs the question, right? We have more than a billion dollars that came from the Biden administration to help us get through um, COVID and to keep our schools open. And yet we don't have a plan for any of this. We don't have a plan for testing. You all saw the debacle that happened over um, the holiday break. We don't have a plan for vaccination. 70% of our elementary school students are not even vaccinated. Only 50% of our high school students are vaccinated. 
We don't have a plan for when the adults in the building get ill and how we educate our children. You know what it used to look like when there was a substitute um, teacher in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Now imagine a substitute teacher in three of your classrooms, and then the fourth classroom doesn't have anyone, and the fifth classroom is being covered by a warm body. We had Dr. Allison Arwoody on the show earlier today, and she said that she was disappointed that there was no school today. And here's a little bit of what uh, she had to say. At this point, two years into the pandemic, you know, there are still many things we're learning. But one thing we have seen is that schools are not significant drivers of COVID spread. And we've seen that in Chicago. We've seen that across the country. We also know that uh, where adults are fully vaccinated, and especially if they're boosted too, they're very, very unlikely to get seriously ill. Children already very unlikely to get seriously ill. And if you get vaccinated, you know, we've not had a single five to 11 year old who's been vaccinated who's you know been seriously ill with COVID at this point what's your response to that Stacey that's not even a discussion anymore the discussion right now is the logistics of keeping schools open and keeping a staff healthy enough where we can actually deliver instruction right now we're not delivering instruction I think I need to underscore that to your listeners instruction is not being delivered because the instructors are sick and so the, the, the talking point that schools are safe is besides the point. This new variant is highly contagious. We have many people who are ill. We have seen this play out in the airline industry. We've seen it play out in the retail industry. Our school system isn't exempt. So the question becomes not all of that stuff that she continues to repeat. How do we do it? The administration of education the job, quite frankly, of the mayor and her people at CPS, they've been failing at that because this is not about them parroting the talking points. This is about taking those facts, taking those talking points, and then making plans around them. I'll say this. The thing that I think is most frustrating to me in this moment as an educator and as a parent is how we talk about the mental um, trauma and the strain that this has played on our young people. And yet there are zero um, plans that have been implemented to actually address that trauma. Um, I heard the, uh, the phrase learning loss yesterday. And when I hear that phrase, I also know that there have been zero recovery programs put into place in our public school system. So, again, so what would you like to see? What would, uh, what would that look like? Well, the first thing that I would like to see is a full accounting of the billions of dollars that they received from the Biden administration. She said $100 million has spent. Our mayor has said $100 million of that money has been spent. We're not seeing it on the ground. So we do need a testing to be administrated. And she's going to need partnership for administration. You don't administrate anything in a school community without the people who work there. Mm -hmm. Number two, we would like to see VAX clinics anchored starting first in the spaces um, where the vaccine has not gotten a lot of um, gotten a lot of play, right? We know communities of color. I'll give you an example. We have a school clerk on the south side. Over 90% of the parents have signed up for testing. And, you know, we saw this uh, data and we said, well, how is she doing this? Well, she's the school clerk. All of the families know the school clerk, and she's also enlisted the help of every other colleague in the building to direct 
parents, families to her that have been hesitant. So it takes a special touch. And the people in the building who know families and who have developed relationships can do that, but you have to have a plan. So we need opt-out testing. They're doing opt-out testing in Thornton. They're doing opt-out testing in um, Evanston. They're doing it all around Chicagoland. CPS refuses to do it. We've asked for it for, for, since testing became available. So we need a plan. We need partnership. That The mitigation will keep us in our building. But at this rate, we're not even going to get to spring break if we don't have a staff to actually deliver instruction. Well, tell me this. The, the mayor said that teachers won't be paid and, and this constitutes a, a strike. What do you think about that? Are, are you intending to escalate beyond this? You know, I don't and, <laughs> and, and and that's not a funny laugh. That that is that's just almost the laugh. I don't understand why this is the fight. Of 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 all the fights that we can have, like how do we hold January 6th people um accountable? That we can have that fight. But we shouldn't be fighting over offering students mitigations to keep schools open. This is the last thing that any of our members wanted to do. Our members understand the shortcomings of remote learning. They were the ones delivering instruction over remote learning. Our members understand the trauma that our children are dealing with because they are in um, relationship with these young people. And so to say that we want this, nah, we want the billions of dollars to be implemented in a real plan that is administrated by people who know how to do good work. And right now that's not happening. That was Stacey Davis-Gates, CTU Vice President. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. WBEZ's Sarah Karp is still with us. Sarah, um, what do we know about learning loss when students are going remote? And how well, does it hit do know, all students? We do know that last year when remote was throughout the entire year, absences were very high and they were very high in particular schools, um, particularly schools that serve primarily low-income Black and Latino students, and that also failure rates shot up, um, especially in some elementary schools where you saw like three times the number of kids failing a class than you did previously. However, one thing that is really important to point out, this was when remote learning was an entire year, right? The the union is really saying they want to be remote for a week and a half because this this action ends on January 18th. I do not, you know, think that a week and a half is, you know, equates with um, a whole year and that it would have that that kind of damaging effects. Yeah. Now, if this lingers on, and I think that that's some of the fear of the mayor or, um, you know, the, the school district CEO that, you know, let's say this lingers on or let's say this sort of gives the union license to go remote whenever they want or something like that, then that could have more damaging effects. But, you know, from now till January 18th, I don't know that that's going to you know, really set kids back right. that much. But. By the way, we, we did invite CPS CEO uh, Pedro Martinez to come on the show today, but we were told that he wasn't available. Uh, that offer, though, it does still stand. Um, Martinez said that uh, there's misinformation, Sarah, about the transmission rates in schools and, and that there's high anxiety. What do you make of that? Well, 
I think what he's saying is that, you know, here you have people saying that it's not safe to be in schools. And, you know, he's saying there it is safe to be in schools. And the Department of Public Health is saying it's safe to be in schools. He would not come right out and say it's the union that is spreading this misinformation. But that was certainly the implication. You know, I think there's two sides of this. I think there's there's the... You know, there, there's public health data that shows that the spread of COVID-19 in schools is less or in some rare cases about the same as in the community. It doesn't say that there's no spread in schools. So that's the thing. And so I, I wonder if some of the nuance here is that it, there's a difference between misinformation and how people take the information. Because, you know, if you say, well, your kid won't be more in danger in the class than at the grocery store, then that's one thing. But if a parent says, well, I don't take my child to the grocery store because I'm scared my child's going to get sick and I don't want my child to get this, then, you know, that's their child. I mean, a lot of these things about like public health studies, yeah. when it comes to like, this is your child. And, you know, nobody wants to be the mom who put their child in a school and the child gets really, really sick. Nobody wants to be the one mom. I mean, Arwadi said there's seven child hospitalizations on average right now. I'm like, well, you know, that's not a lot. But if you're the mom of that child that's in the hospital, that's the whole world. Of course. That's WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Now, CPS is far from the only district where the Omicron variant is changing plans by the minute. So I want to turn now to Suzanne Johnson. She's the deputy superintendent of school district U46 in Elgin. It's the second largest in the state, and it's serving over 38,000 students. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me today. Over the holidays, you uh, saw the spike in COVID cases as well. How did you begin to prepare for a return to classes? Wow, that's a uh, that's a great question, and I don't know that that any of us are ever fully prepared to deal with the next twist and turn in our response to COVID. Um, but we continued, um, you know, to to revise and and review and update what our practices and guidelines have been in place uh, to support student learning, to keep students in school, and also to be responsive to staff needs and su- support our staff as well. Uh, throughout the first semester this year, we were really pushed um, to make sure that we are doing our best to communicate those guidelines and also being prepared uh, to the best of our abilities to staff classrooms when staff are unable to report for instruction or to also be flexible in all of our support uh, positions as well. Uh, Teachers, of course, are vital, but we have five other bargaining units as well that all provide uh, much needed support and resources for our students on a daily basis. And uh, so so what are the factors that go into you deciding uh, a temporarily uh, to temporarily close a school? Sure. Um, So for us, it's been really our ability to be able to staff those sites uh, and to be able to provide that in-person instruction for our students. So yesterday we had five elementary sites closed. Today we have three elementary sites closed. And that comes down to being able to have either classroom teachers or substitute teachers in place to provide instruction um, at those sites. And unfortunately, for some of them, uh, clearly we were struggled to provide uh, those resources to be able to provide the in-person instruction yesterday and today. Mm -hmm. So you're taking the school by school approach. 
Um, right yeah. now, you've got uh, schools in your district that are closed because of the, the staffing shortages. So when they're they're closed, there's no remote instruction. And are you paying the staff and the teachers? Uh, we are. We do continue to um, you know pay the staff. Uh, what does happen is that those staff members who would have been well enough to report to work for the day um, have either been redistributed uh, or reassigned to other sites to provide instruction to cover classrooms that perhaps did not have substitutes at other sites, or they still report to their site as well to um, continue to provide uh, resources, support to staff members there, or um, outreach to the rest of the the district as well. So because we've made that decision to close the site uh, really as a, as a proactive approach to make sure that the, the students are, are safe and the staff, staff members are safe as well, um, clearly our employees can continue to be compensated for their time. How are you handling school lunches for kids when you have to close for staffing shortages? Yeah, um, that's a wonderful question. Unfortunately, on those days for those sites, we are not able to provide uh, those resources for our students and our families. Now, you have two schools that are reopening. What's your approach to uh, determine whether it's safe to come back? Yeah, well, and again, for us, it's really the ability to staff those sites with teachers or with substitutes. And um, so that that's really what we monitor, monitor it uh, throughout the entire day. So but how do you make sure it's safe? Because um, you'll have the numbers, but how do you make sure it's safe? Are you looking for negative tests? Oh, no. I mean, safe as far as secure for having appropriate supervision, appropriate staff members in place to support our students. Um, we continue to implement all of the mitigation efforts that we have all along um, with our response to COVID. So making sure that uh, to the best of our abilities, following all of our social distancing, our mask mandates, um, we've had we've provided testing options and opportunities for students as well. And of course, following um, state and um, executive orders concerning vaccination status and or testing for employees as well. So those continue to be our, our efforts there. For us, it's really, you know, when I reference the safety piece and the security, having the appropriate staff members in place to provide the supervision and the instruction that's needed for our students. So, Suzanne, what's your plan then going forward as we continue to move through this Omicron wave? Right. Um, so as we continue to, on a, on a daily basis, we're monitoring um, those absence rates uh, for staff members and students working in alignment with uh, three uh, county health departments in U46. We reside in King County, but because we have schools in Cook and DuPage, uh, we really collaborate and coordinate those efforts as well so that we receive their direction. We, um, I'm sure as others have indicated, are anxiously awaiting any updated guidance for schools from um, IDPH and, and based off of the recent CDC guidance. guidance. And then, of course, uh, we are continuing as well to research additional options for student testing, for test to stay as all of those things come forward, as well as continuing to uh, offer and host uh, in the future. We're looking to, again, offer additional vaccine clinics for students and staff. We have done that throughout our response to uh, COVID for staff members and students as well. Uh, most recently in the months of November and December, we hosted vaccine clinics at all of our elementary schools to support um, the vaccination of our five through five through 12 students. That was Suzanne Johnson, Deputy Superintendent of School District U46. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.